You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Dude, are you ready? I am cautiously optimistic that I am ready. Oh, I thought you meant like about this episode in general, and I was like, <laughs> we may need to regroup because I think we're gonna kick ass. We are, yeah. No, we have we have regrouped. We have discussed. We have hydrated, and we're good to go. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, this season has been different for us. Tough. I think that um, it's only fair that we've dished out some tough love, you know? Well-deserved. Yeah, that's why I said it was yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's time for us to do the autopsy on season five of Teen Wolf here on the Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And we're ready to rock and roll. Um, ready to rock and roll this season far away from me, dog. It sucked. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew, pew. I don't want to say that it was inherently bad. I just want to say that I didn't like it. <laughs> me personally. I tried so hard. I, I cleared my mind. I went and I sat outside when I was looking at my list of what works and what doesn't. And I made myself write down like at least five things. That you that liked? I liked and I thought worked. You took like the therapist approach. <laughs> yes. Uh, my, my little gratitude journal yeah. for season five of Teen Wolf. Uh, small entry, but that's progress uh-huh. from no entry yeah. of gratitude. Yes. There, so. there are going to be darker parts in our lives. <laughs> We've already faced darker parts of our lives. Why are we this hung up? Because um, it... Because it's sad. (laughs) Well, I want to say, like, I think that this season has seriously tested our relationship with the show. Um, I think we both walk away still loving Teen Wolf, but I think having to put this much um, critical thought into something that we'd rather not think about, because I think that you and I both always treated season five as something you sort of, like, forget about. I think that being forced to sit down and actually analyze the things that we didn't like or why we didn't like something has been instrumental to our growth as podcasters and mm-hmm. as re-Wolfians, if you will, Teen Wolf historians. And um, I am happy this season is coming to a close, but I think that it, what doesn't kill you makes you smarter. Oh, a nice twist. Yeah. New sticker, perhaps? Perhaps. Mayhaps. I assume someone's going to be like, actually, that was tried as shit. But no, I think that this season has spurned like excellent discussion from the Wolfpack, both from people who are still in camp. Hey, I like season five. You know, I think it's redeemable. People who have changed their minds, um, given our discussion, which is what we wanted. And, you know, people who were like us and didn't love it to begin with. And I think that that is what I'm most proud of is the sort of conversation that's been had the call to action to think critically about things we like and the community. Yeah. All the folks who um, are sticking with it and sharing with us despite our frustrations. Yeah. So before we do the official season five wrap up, we actually have to talk about the finale that we do. And what a finale. Uh, I have never like, I know, I know we say this all the time. Everything happens so much. But uh, truly, <laughs> truly, like nothing that was happening in this finale had to do with anything else that was happening in this finale. So it was, it was like three separate episodes. It was like a ping pong match. 
watching it just like i don't know what's happening yeah like 4d ping pong though yeah. <laughs> like multiple levels <laughs> seven balls <laughs> yes um it fittingly enough this episode is called apotheosis however you say it it basically just means the ultimate the finale literally it's it means the finale um I want to have been in the Teen Wolf writer's room when somebody was like, what are we going to call this episode? Quick, get the thesaurus. <laughs> and then whoever was given the thesaurus was knocked in the head with it. Yeah. <laughs> Promptly. <laughs> like, actually, I think this one's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Russell Mulcahy, whom oh. we've not heard from in a, a while. Yeah. So yes. um, he's still a producer. Not um, that wet, I will say. No, not enough Very water. Very dry. Not enough water. Um, I also wouldn't even say this is a great example of Jeff Davis's work. Like, I would not say that either of these episodes, either of these, uh, you know, actors in this episode were as well represented that I, as they have been in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I didn't hate it. I think the sort of... Um, High points in the action could have been better split between the episode previous to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get too far into it, we do have to do the 60-second recap. And since you voluntold me to go first last time. Which was an honor, <laughs> by the way. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm still wearing the button. So um, I think it's your turn to go first. I don't think I know. And I'm going to ask for the last time on season five. Are you ready? What if I said yet? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, just throw people off their tracks. Yes. Okay. Well, that's very unfortunate, but I'm going to give you a minute on the clock to recap the episode starting right now. So the Argents are trailing after Parrish and the Beast, and then Gerard reveals that he took the cane slash pike. Scott and Styles and Liam bring the remaining Dread Doctor to the uh, to Deaton to get more info, and Sebastian shows up and reveals that it's actually Marcel who did all of this for him for some reason. Theo is hurt and seduces Tracy and kills her to steal her powers. Uh, Malia and the Desert Wolf are still in a stalemate at Scott's house. Scott and Liam uh, hear Sebastian and Marcel talk about the Argents and figure out that they have the cane. Deaton hypothesizes that since Mason has two sets of DNA that hit, that Mason and Sebastian are currently still both in the Beast. Liam remembers that that's not my name thing and Scott figures out that Lydia can make the Beast not the Beast anymore. Um, uh, they, uh, Sebastian tries to go to the police station. The sheriff figures out who he is and tries to let him go quietly so he doesn't hurt anybody but Clark, for, like, Clark fires at him anyway. He t- attacks, maiming Hayden and Lydia. The Desert Wolf explains to Malia that the her power was stolen in childbirth. Uh, Sebastian uh, forces Hayden to take him to the lair and then hurts her and then sees the Argent and then Deucalion is in the tunnels with Theo and then Theo hurts him and he says that the Argents are coming to corral the beast and then I got like halfway through. You you took very detailed notes. I'm looking over there right now. I, I, did, that I was not. my fault. That was, <laughs> I think that was my downfall. Yeah. I was like, I need to know everything about what happened in this episode so I can talk about it accurately. And then I ended up just, you know, well, bouncing. That may be <laughs> to our benefit because I did not approach it in that way. So you might be able to correct me if I say something stupid. If you say something stupid, I'm going to let it slide and let you, you know, <laughs> deal with that on your own. But if you say something wrong, I might jump in and correct you. Uh, all right. That's fair. I think, you know. You can, you can fix wrong. You can't fix stupid. No, you can't. <laughs> anyway, if we go back into quarantine, <laughs> you can't fix stupid. I, I will get dumber. Yeah. Oh, I just meant that it's stupid people making us go back into quarantine. Oh, that too. Whoa. 
great way to end season five is a COVID update about perhaps going back into quarantine. Who knows? Everybody wear your mask. Uh, please, please get vaccinated. Oh my gosh. All right. You're vaxxed. You're ready to go. You have a minute on the clock. And go. Okay, so we pick up where we left off and everyone is pursuing the beast and the Argent actually have Marie Jean's uh, Pike, which is now a cane, and the Dread Doctor survives and Sebastian is like, oh my god, come on out, and it's Marcel. Um, Theo and Tracy make out, but it's only so that he can steal her power. Deaton assures everyone that there has to be a way to save Mason because he had two sets of DNA and like a little tiny uh, baby in there with him and Lydia can call his true name. Um, Sebastian goes to the sheriff's station and like stabs Lydia in the throat with his claws and he takes Hayden with him because he wants to know where, you know, things are. Lydia lives, but she can't scream, which is the problem. Um, The Beast is in the tunnels and he sees the mural and the Argent emitters. Parrish realizes that Lydia's her but he actually stays to fight. Mama McCall gives Lydia some co- some cortisone so that she can like get with it, and Liam faints. Malia and the Desert Wolf are having their little tête-à-tête, and Styles gives her the Belasco's claws to take her power. Everybody's in the tunnel, and Theo just like starts causing chaos. He traps Lydia somewhere, um, and then he tries to fight the beast, but he fails. There's a little Deucalion, Chris, double cross. Gerard is like super mad about it. Lydia's actually trapped underground until Kira saves her. And that would be a minute, my friend. Oh God, I thought I was doing so well. I think you were doing well, um, but not well enough that I'm not going to not ask you to give us the summation of the rest of the episode. Okay, so basically um, everybody is fighting with uh, the Beast and Sebastian ends up seeing Allison in Scott's memories and it freaks him out because she looks just like his sister, Marie-Jean, and um, Lydia you know, gets broken out of underground jail by Kira and calls for Mason who retakes his body and Parrish is able to stab the shadow beast with the pike slash sword the skinwalkers at slash Theo's dead sister are like you gotta come with us because you're a bad person I guess um Scott ends up biting Hayden um, so that she lives because she's been horribly wounded um everybody goes back to school except for Kira who goes to join the skinwalkers never to be seen again by the Dean Wolf cast. We have thoughts on that for later. Oh, many. Yeah. Lots. Um, I think that covers it all. I think it does also. Um, crazy last episode. I will say, I feel like the end of season five, the Dean Wolf writers were just throwing shit at a wall to see what stuck, but they were just throwing raw pasta. <laughs> like it was just <laughs> bouncing and crunching on the floor Later, you're going to step on it with shoes and be like, shit, I knew I dropped some penne. Like, some of it will roll under the stove. Yeah. You'll never see it again. And then you get your stove replaced, and then you're like, there's so much macaroni under here. dirty down here. (laughs) Yeah. So, I think um, for season five, par for the course, definitely not the most successful season finale. Just a quick question. What do you think is the most successful season finale? Probably... Two, right? Two, yeah. Yeah, God, two is good. Well, because two is so satisfying. Yeah. Like, it's so satisfying. I would also even say the end of 3A yeah. is pretty good. Yeah. Pretty darn good. It, it's not quite up there with season two. I also like 6A. Um, yeah. But I just, I really love, in 3A, I love the montage of them all walking through the halls. Yeah. And like smiling and talking to each other. Um, and that's kind of something that I have been missing throughout season five, but especially here where they throw in a little bit of high school at the end. And it's just like, oh, right. They go to Beacon Hills High School because yeah. they're all in high school. 
Yes. We're, the high school per 60 of this season has been very low. Yeah. Um, we do get a Gerard betrayal, though, so that's cool. A nice little, like, reminder that that, that's, <laughs> that that season finale was good, I guess. I guess. Although how he didn't see it coming is completely beyond me. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get to that in our main discussion, which mm-hmm. this uh, discussion is about status. So this entire sort of... Um, it's, it's almost like a machine. Everything is shifting and characters are b- being moved up and being moved down. Power is being exchanged. And no character, except for maybe Scott, and even so it's iffy, starts this episode at the same status that they ended at. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a big transaction. Uh, very big transaction. Like I said, a lot of moving pieces. And um, I'm interested to know where you want to start a discussion. I kind of want to start with Theo. Okay. Because he has a lot of high hopes coming into this. He feels really confident that he will be able to take the power from the beast with all of the other chimeras that he has absorbed. Uh, And, I mean, he even kills Tracy to do it, which I guess was part of his plan all along, or at least since realizing that he could do that. Um, and he fails miserably. He does. And, you know, I think since even the first, I think Theo's status has been falling since he got his pack assembled. Mm-hmm. I think that that was the peak. I think he's been, you know, it's been disintegrating. That's why he's so desperate for power. And I wouldn't even say that stealing Josh's power and killing him is stealing Trace's power and killing her, um, has actually done all that much to offset the fall, which uh, is kind of great, especially in a character who I think is desperate. Like I think most of what Theo exudes is desperation mm-hmm. and you know, he's got this sort of cockiness and Cody Christian's handsome. And so it's kind of wrapped underneath that, but it's desperately trying to break through and desperately. And I think that this is such an amazing example of that. And I think when Deucalion says like, eventually, it's not going to keep working to stab people in the back. Mm-hmm. And he obviously reaches the absolute pit when the skinwalkers suck him to the underworld. By his, the hands of his dead sister? Question mark. Remember last season when we were like, it's really unfortunate. Or maybe this was a season. I feel like maybe common discussion. It's really annoying that Teen Wolf doesn't engage with the conversation about the afterlife or what happens after death. We know that Lydia senses death. We know that Parrish senses death. But like, where is his sister? Has she been chilling with the skinwalkers all this time? Or are the skinwalkers the ruler of the underworld? And why does Teen Wolf have an underworld? (laughs) Well, it doesn't make any sense. And it's very much tied up in the fact that like nobody is ever allowed to acknowledge death or grief in a way that makes uh, an impact. Um, Yeah. There's no speculation about what happens to people, which I think is completely natural and normal when someone close to you when you lose them, um, which has happened multiple times over Teen Wolf. And it's just like, oh, well, they're dead. That's sad. Anyway. Yeah, we see like one, like, I guess it's a Christian funeral in season two. And then it's For like. For Kate. And yeah. then Kate is not, in fact, dead. So. Oh, Teen Wolf. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that not only is um, 
Theo free-falling, he also has no ability to calculate his own status amongst any of the other characters. He is being played like a fiddle by Deucalion, which is very sexy of Deucalion, <laughs> if I must say. Um, and is like actually shocked that things don't work out for him. He is so certain that he's going to roll up to the beast and take his powers, which, real quick, why does taking power in Teen Wolf all of a sudden give you, like, rogue X-Men powers where you take, like, their actual attributes and abilities? And also, why was he able to take it from Tracy and Josh and then not the Beast, who is just a werewolf, like a werewolf on steroids, but just a werewolf? Yeah. I don't I don't get it. I... <laughs> I don't understand. I don't get it. So again, try as he might, he can't actually change his status and actually is really unsure of it, which is interesting to me. And you know what's great? Hmm. Deucalion snaps his neck. Which is so funny um, because it's not like he dies. No. A a weird move to make if your intention isn't exactly to kill somebody. Um, But it leaves him completely vulnerable for being dragged to the other world. Yeah. Whatever that is. Yeah. And I think that breaking that neck while he's still alive and knowing he's still going to be alive is so much less about, like, immobilizing him or hurting him and more about putting him in his (laughs) goddamn place, which I loved. Well, that's also kind of been happening. And since this episode is um, directly connected to the penultimate episode that we discussed on Tuesday, Wednesday, um, you know, the Dread Doctors have their little uh, millennials in your avocado toast moment, but they're basically calling him a failure even after, you know, he is like a living chimera. He's been able to kind of run his own pack and like in the Dread Doctors eyes, that probably should be some sort of success because all the other chimeras are like failing um, and, and dying. But they're still just like, you ain't shit. Okay, I'm going to make another Pixar reference, but it's not Monsters, Inc. Like, Theo's kind of a syndrome, right? Yeah, because if everybody is super, then nobody is super, but he will be the most super. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he also is, like, wanting people to bow to him, but is actually so much less powerful than anybody else around him and can't possibly fathom that. Yeah. We have so little of Theo's backstory, which, um, like, what happened to the parents whose f- thumbs and fingers he oh, breaks T-Mall with a hammer? Oh, doesn't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> he does do that, but, uh, um, yeah, they, they went away. <laughs> but, like, the, whereas a lot of these other characters can shift um, their status in multiple different places in their life, like in their relationship to their parents or their relationship to their friends or in school, like, Theo just has this he has the one thing and that's kind of sad it is and not <laughs> even in like a woobify way just in the how pathetic way it, yes that i think is the word to describe theo throughout the season but particularly at his downfall in yeah. this episode um shall we move on yes wh- who would you like to talk about next malia I will say the whole Desert Wolf uh, plotline is completely shoehorned in this Fumbled. season. Absolutely, the ball drops. I would have loved to it have, for it to have been, have been an undercurrent in season four and maybe handled in 5A. Um, the fact that it's basically like, oh, God, we got to wrap this up, which, like, no, you didn't. You could have put it in season six. 
Oh, yeah. I love a slow burn. Nobody needed that to be concluded in this particular episode. Actually, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just, like, our feeling. Um, But, again, like, we've talked about Teen Wolf's success of having, like, multiple villains operating at one time. And I think that they were trying to accomplish that. But the idea of the Desert Wolf was solidified so late. Like, they were dropping, like, her name and comments the whole time but we only meet her in 5B relatively recently. Uh, so I agree. You're, you're right. That did not have to end uh, as quickly as it did. But Malia kind of gets to have her Princess Bride six-fingered man moment. Yeah. Um, where she gets to kill the woman who, well, not. She gets to take the power from and I defeat. Think she, she does kill her. I think that that's it. Brayden comes in and, like, headbutts, like, with oh, the gun, yeah. you know, um, but she extracts some revenge for Corinne having been the reason that she lost her mother and her sister, mm-hmm. which for Malia, and we do not actually get to see the ramifications of how she feels about that in this episode. That must be incredibly empowering. Oh, and if not empowering, and maybe this is empowering in its own way, exceptionally cathartic, you know, mm-hmm. Malia, especially, I think that this is an an interesting question of status, as she has grown more human um, and has assimilated to be at the same sort of plane of operation as all of her friends, has, I think, lost a lot of her impulsivity and her ability to feel organically. And I think that's part of the reason why she's secretive about, like, her whole thing with her mom and with Brayden is because if it the second anybody intervenes, she doesn't keep get to feeling that organically. And she knows that Brayden is one of the only people who can understand because Brayden's been hunting her down this whole time. And I think that that sort of, um, you know, like their sort of similar goal and their like very similar emotional state is what makes them such good allies throughout this. Um, but yeah, it's really great to me that like Malia, who would not feel like satisfied by having her mom leave her alone or like having this have some sort of like proper resolution. Like I love that Malia takes her powers and is like, no, you took the most important thing I can have for me. I'm taking the thing that I care like the least about that you are so obsessed with. And like, that is how we get even. And I hate you for it. And I like, like that. I think that that's a good exchange of status. I agree. And it, it allows, as you were just saying that it allows Malia to kind of be her herself. Um, but also in a way that like, we've, we've kind of talked about Malia's, um, grief and, uh, kind of like nature versus nurture. Um, and she can't kill Peter, (laughs) uh, but she can have this confrontation with the woman who like didn't even want to have her. Yeah. I will say, Um, no one can kill Peter. <laughs> he is unkillable. <laughs> like what is like slippery, you know? I miss him so much. He's on the way. I know. I can't wait. I'm excited. Um, I, I know that Dylan O'Brien was off filming other stuff, which is why he's not really in six. Um, but the whole like, well, how do we do this? We're going to put Peter and Styles in the same room for a whole season. Genius. Genius. So smart. Um, it's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, but yeah, Malia, I think gets to kind of release a lot of her, um, grief. And 
we don't really see her dad, but like knowing that she was the cause of so much of his grief and like, what is her status in his world? Um, even if he doesn't know that, like, I, I just think she's going to be able to be her, herself, um, in a way that she's never been able to be before. And that in and of itself is power. I agree. And I think like in terms of status, she has been lowering her own status this whole time as part of her assimilation process, as part of this patience she's had. And that, you know, she all of a sudden restores equilibrium when this happens. You know, I think even throwing the first punch, it changes everything. It makes her operate more organically and allows her to raise her own status in the space and uh, over her mom. And add to that fact, the, the notion that Scott is the Scott is the one who gives styles those claws to give to Malia and Scott, the person who is like, we don't kill people. We don't get into these kind of confrontations. She hides that fact from Scott because she thinks that he won't accept it. He is the one who ends up facilitating that for her, which would indicate that her status in the pack has shifted. Uh, She has been given permission to act as who she is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's great. I think that it's a really big, like, flip around from what we've seen from Scott, and maybe we should talk about him next. Sure. Um, but it, I do like it. And as far as, like, even though I think that pretty much all of the women in this season have entirely unrewarding plot lines and stories, including Malia, it's kind of nice just to watch her kick a little ass. I agree. Yeah. Scott. Scott does a couple of things in this episode that I find really out of character. Um, Well, I think the claws thing is slightly out of character. He's placing a lot of trust in Malia to only use them to take her mother's power and not to kill her. Well, I challenge like, would it have been out? I don't think it would have been out of character in season four. No, but because the way that they have set up Scott as like this, you know, untouchable, moral god who only grudgingly accepts the fact that his best friend had to kill in self-defense um that also, he then like styles didn't <laughs> kill him no but that his his friend was indirectly responsible for someone's death um his best friend in the whole world and it, despite like literally everything that he has been through in the past four seasons it really felt like a regression of scott's understanding of the whole world and so um I don't think that season five Scott would have trusted Malia with those claws, but he does it anyway. Um, Similarly at the end of this episode, and there's like other things that we could talk about, but this is something that really sticks in my mind. He bites Hayden. Yeah. Well, I will say like, I can say, yeah, that's out of character for season five, but given that season five is a fraction of the rest of the show, it's, I guess a return to form, a return to Scott's original, like it's almost like factory settings, Mm -hmm. you know, all of this stuff that Scott is, is begging into question at the beginning of the season. It feels like he's finally like pulling his head out of his ass, like to be Mm -hmm. crude about it. But like, I think that all of a sudden the impact of what's happening right now, the, um, understanding that you have to make unlikely allies in the face of something as big as the beast uh, it's, it, it's, it's not time to question whether or not something is morally right anymore. And that's what I think is interesting. And perhaps the only 
um, bound of character development in that direction we actually see from Scott in most seasons. Yeah. I think the one of the most frustrating things about all of season five, and I think it's especially evident in this episode, is that Scott has become a side character of Teen Wolf. Well, I really think that if that was to pave the way to bring in like this young wolf pack, they could have run for a couple more seasons without the original cast, whatever. That's fine. But instead, Scott's the main character of six. And then like all those other baby wolves kind of fall to the wayside. Yeah. So it, it just, it's like an about face from him earlier in the season saying that he won't bite Hayden no matter what, despite the fact that it seems like she's dying. Um, and you know, his argument is that like, what if she doesn't survive, then I'm responsible for her death. But the reason he bites her in, in the finale is that she's horribly wounded. And that's like the way that he will save her, which is, a lot of things in Teen Wolf that we have thought are a big deal, like the um, claw, like using your claws to access memories, just become overused um, as if they're either not important anymore or people are not thinking of them as important. Um, well, they've just diminished in weight. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they were still being held at like held at the same um, status. I think if they were still being reserved you know Mm -hmm. and i don't even know if overuse is a problem but if they were still being treated by the characters as if they were these big deals it would still be a big deal to us but now it's like so glib yeah like i'm sitting here being like it's really crazy to me that scott was like we are morally correct people and then like invades Corey's memories no consent Mm mm-hmm it just scott seems so all over the map And he has kind of a solidified status of being the alpha of his own pack, which comes with a lot of responsibility that he like really tries to meet. And, um, you know, he is in theory, like the moral center of the show. Um, so I don't know that he like gains or loses status necessarily, except like within his own beliefs. Um, and it's just really confusing. His gaining or loss of status doesn't actually... Uh, matter it's what he does with it you know Scott Mm -hmm. always has a significant amount of status over pretty much everyone in the room even like a physical prowess like you know we saw in season three what it sounded like when he would like yell at Isaac and Isaac would like whimper in a corner which was like oof bring back that Scott (laughs) McCall but also and more importantly bring back Isaac um the, the Scott McCall who like plots to poison Gerard over an entire season like where is he Exactly. Where is so he? So Scott's status doesn't necessarily change because he always has power over the people around him. But the fact that it has, uh, he, what he does with it has changed is what is interesting. And again, like I said, it's kind of a return to form. I think season five was a serious mm-hmm. miscalculation on what's like, it seems like somebody was explained the plot of Teen Wolf and was like, oh, <laughs> that's how this guy would act, right? Yeah. And especially, you know, we've talked at length about Scott's emotional intelligence and it feels like it went out the window in season five and that this last episode he found it it's definitely trying to reclaim what was lost for sure yeah Scott's emotional intelligence was a sock in a communal dryer we'll never see it again (laughs) bye-bye adios (laughs) um 
Where did those socks go? Into the ether. Actually, no, into other people's laundry baskets. I have multiple times found other people's socks in my laundry basket. And I take them back down, and then they lay there unclaimed until someone throws them in the trash. Hmm. Sad. I feel like all my, I feel like I know when my socks are my socks, you know? Sure. But, um, you know, when you're like just pulling shit out of the dryer. No, 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 no. I mean, like if you're putting them back in the laundry room, I'd be like, hey, that's my sock. People, socks are just like so small and insignificant. (laughs) Don't you dare say that about socks. They're like one of my favorite pieces of clothing. I actually really don't like socks. I don't like wearing them. I know this about you. I don't like them. I'm a sock fan. I'm also a boot fan. Love boots. It is, it is in the direction of the shoes I like wearing, truly. Um, shall we move on? Are you just saying that like socks are boot shaped? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. You wear, I, I like socks because you have to wear like thick socks when you wear boots. So okay. I'm like wearing socks is like, this means good shoes. Okay. I got it. Yeah. I got it. I got it. I'm so excited for fall. It is fall. I mean, it, it's August. It is August, but, but it's fall Halloween. starts after 4th of July. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but like, I'm starting to get like the, uh, ads in my um spam email like urban outfitters fall collection coming and i'm like yes some sweaters i'm not buying anything because i can get all that stuff at the thrift store urban outfitters but i'm bummed i can't wait yeah i can't wait for the nip in the air and the spring in my step and the sweater on my body it's gonna be great i feel like the spring in my step comes in spring no because i'm just like so excited when it's fall it's like New school year season. I'm not horribly uncomfortable all the time. I, it yeah. rains. Here's the thing about summer. I'm hot or I'm in the corporate air conditioning dying. <laughs> I've always maintained that summer is the worst season. It is by far my least favorite. I'm very excited for skeletons and brown leaves. And But I will say that that's the best thing about summer is like the... The lush vegetation. You said that as if our apartment isn't already covered in skeletons. Um... We have one skeleton. I want a classroom skeleton, but they're like $200. We, he also would not fit. Okay, fine. We'll talk home decor later. <laughs> Wolfpack, tell us what your favorite season is. And uh, Julia, tell me what you think about Kira. Oh, God. Um, Why on earth are the skinwalkers helping her? Why are they back? What on earth do they have to do with any of the Japanese mythology? What would they know about fixing her sword? Why do they know about uh, Theo's sister? And why, actually, here's my biggest question. Why would they help her after she evaded them the first time? Why wouldn't they immediately be like, well, if you're back, it's underworld time, baby, and suck her into the earth? Why are they offering (laughs) the help? Uh, Because maybe she'll stay willingly. If they help her, look, I am not going to sit here and be like, yes, I have an answer to your question. I don't fucking know. Um, I think you summed up a lot of what I feel just now. Um, (sighs) Kira is so disrespected. Truly, honestly, she is far and away the most powerful creature we have seen ever on Teen Wolf. And that includes the beast like and Parrish. Why is Kira not factored into fighting the beast? Because her powers are on the fritz or something. But if her powers weren't on the fritz, Kira would have been willing to stop the beast. And I actually think that the whole her powers being on the fritz thing was a frustrating way of like Arden Cho leaving the show, which makes me very sad. Um, We never got to see Kira live up to her potential. She Mm -hmm. would have had the moment to defeat the evil like so many before her. 
it's kind of I, it's it is akin to the fact that Captain Marvel is more powerful by far than any Avenger and could have defeated Thanos by herself. Um, so she's just conveniently not there. Yeah. And I think that's what they felt they had to do with Kira, I guess, uh, is just make her conveniently not there. Um, and make her timid and afraid of her own powers when part of her arc that we've seen throughout the series is coming to terms with what she is and finding, like, strength and joy in her her foxness i don't know yeah i mean it removes any and all agency we have seen her gain um it also draws attention like it's made even more clear that that's the case when you see like malia getting to take her mom's powers and lydia screaming mason's name or whatever and like getting her um banshee school time with meredith this season yeah it's really frustrating to me that like kira can't do anything to raise her own status She's being held back by pretty much everyone, mostly the writers. And this whole, like, power impasse is frustrating, um, especially since basically the, f- the final time she is able to reclaim her status, to raise herself, to reclaim her power, it's just to go to the underworld later. And all she does is save Lydia, which she needed to be saved, unfortunately. Can't wait to talk about Lydia. Um... But, like, she comes back to save Lydia. She comes back to give Theo a message and have him dragged to the underworld. And then she says, you know, goodbye to Scott, the boy that she loves. And her mom isn't even there. Where is Nishiko? Where is she? Was the actress busy? (laughs) Just tell me if the actress was busy. I, well, and her dad is there. That's the problem. Like, her dad doesn't come. He doesn't discourage her from, you know, going there in the first place. And basically the effect of this is that Kira is gone. Like this is her exit from the show. Completely unceremonious. Absolutely flubbed. Really disappointed, especially when we, when we've seen really triumphant um, exits from the show, as we saw with Allison, we've also seen incredible failures like Erica. Mm -hmm. Um, But Erica was a smaller part of the show. If we're being honest, like Kira should have been a mainstay. She should have been in every episode. She should have had, so much more screen time with all, all the other characters who weren't Scott. The fact that we pretty much only ever see her with Malia and Scott is like, I want to see Kira and Styles in a room together. What on earth would they talk about? Yeah. I, I part of like five B and especially when they go to get uh, Lydia out of Eichenhaus is like, we're getting the band back together, but the band doesn't even all hang out together in general. It, they, it's like they're trying to emphasize, and this has been a staple of Teen Wolf, is their friendship and the way that Scott was able to like create this pack from the people that he cares about. And some of the best and most successful moments in the show are when people who don't necessarily interact have to work together. And the fact that Kira got none of that and that she doesn't really get to like take her, I don't want to be like her rightful place, but like her rightful status. 
yeah. in the pack is infuriating. Well, especially considering, and I hate saying that this is how this transaction works, that she would have been the, like, Allison replacement. She should have been given that level of respect in screen time. She really, and especially because even after Scott and Allison broke up, Allison is a valued, incredibly important part of the pack. And Scott and Kira are together for almost all of this, but you are right. She is not given the same weight. Yeah. And I think you can make the argument like, oh, well the cast is getting bigger. So like everybody's parts are being thinned. Yeah. But Peter and Derek are gone. Mm -hmm. People who are mainstays in the cast are not in this season. So where is that extra time going to like, filler scenes a lot of filler there's a lot of filler in this episode there's a lot of filler in the last episode and I find that really frustrating um I didn't mean to turn this into our whole critique of Kira's place in this season but yeah I mean in this episode she's frankly not given a lot to do I love that she's the one to save Lydia because I actually didn't need it to be Styles or Parrish again Mm -hmm. um but it makes me sad her sword can cut through walls that's raw that's metal that's that's cool uh do you want to talk about Styles a little bit Yeah, he also doesn't do a whole lot in this episode, uh, which is fine. Um, He occupies a lot of space in season five. Um, He is, I I think, the one, or maybe it's Scott, can't remember, to figure out that Lydia is going to be the one to save them all, which... I actually think it's Scott, which is an interesting turn from Mm -hmm. what you'd expect. But he is mostly there to kind of be scared for her and for moral support. Um, you know, I, I, he has finally regained his status. Not finally, but like in the last couple of episodes since they had their little talk on their way to New Mexico or wherever. Um, you know, he has regained his status as being Scott's right-hand man, which is um, great. You know, we love seeing them together. He has this little moment with his dad at the end about, uh, like, his future career. Yeah, I said copaganda. We'll talk about that. At it the is. End. It's, in my um, it's in my O's and my Q's. Yeah. But so Styles, I think, is like, and he mentions this, too, of like, oh, well, you know, I'm really worried about where we're all going to end up, but I think we'll all find each other. He seems to actually be pretty secure in his status in this moment, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Well, I actually, I think what's really interesting to me is that his status in the pack remains stagnant finally for the first time in a very tumultuous season. But what changes is his status in his relationships. Um, I think that this episode is like, even though he goes and he saves Malia, I think that's kind of like the last thing he does for her in their relationship, you know? Yes. And when he's holding hands with Lydia in the hospital and Melissa is like, you get over here and you hold her hand, dumbass. It's like, yeah, I think these couple moments are when Styles realizes that like what he had with Malia important. They love each other. So fun to watch as an audience member. I wish we got so much more of their time together because I think it's great. Um, I think they they have really good chemistry too, but I think that that is the shift that's made. He helps Lydia, he goes to help Malia, and I think after this, he sort of makes his decision. Because the next time we see him is, like, the next time we see Styles is the whole, like, remember me, remember I love you thing mm-hmm. with Lydia. Yeah. Um, which for us, as Stidia truthers. <laughs> Not even truthers, it's, it's endgame and yeah. canon, like, it is. Stidia stands. Um, that's very exciting, because 
you know, we're talking about like, it would have been great to have a slow burn with the desert wolf. This is the slow burn of teen wolf. The slowest of the burns. Um, and it is worth it. I agree. Uh, so it's exciting that that's the setup. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Lydia. Oh my God. Can I Poor just Lydia. Say, okay. Yeah. Absolutely stupid fucking pointless to do anything in the hospital with the cortisol shot. Like it wasn't even good body horror and also just detracted from like where you could have filled this episode in, in interesting places because if it doesn't actually prevent her from screaming, it's a completely stupid, like impasse to the plot. Like you could have just had Theo kidnap her earlier in the episode and that'd be like the thing that they have to fix. Mm-hmm. She has gone through so much physical trauma. Actually, I just want to say, like, I'm frankly tired of watching women be maimed. Uh, <laughs> on this show, but also in every piece of media I've ever consumed. Or in general, real life. Yeah. Um, Lydia, thus far, this season, has been confined to a mental hospital mm-hmm. by her mother, who just, I guess, decides doesn't love her. Um, or it's just like horrifically. We, yeah. We've talked we about been it. Open about our thoughts, yeah. Um, has had a hole drilled in her head is manipulated and taken advantage of by tons of people and then gets her throat punctured by these like, you know, Oh my God. What are those? Like, it looks like someone spray painted some bugles black and put them on his fingers like bugle claws. <laughs> piercing that is a great description i want bugles now uh if only so that you can have witch fingers yeah for witch finger purposes mm-hmm. i also kind of like bugles but it's definitely for the aesthetics yeah at, at the end of the day it is a mediocre chip but but witch fingers um yeah ne- never underestimate how much aesthetics can up a value or just like a little of bit something. of a little bit of fun yeah you know yeah like are do the are the fruit roll-ups with the tongue tattoos better no. No, but they have tattoos for your tongue. It's fun. But now I want a fruit roll up. Or gushers. Oh, I don't love gushers, to be really? honest. Really? You know what is the king of all fruit snacks, though? The blue, <laughs> oh, the blue Scooby snack. <laughs> Not the rest of the Scooby snacks, just the opaque blue one. Um, my little sister, Jessa, that's for you specifically. That is her favorite candy. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. Hi, one, blue smoogie, one blue Scooby snack. It's, yeah. they, they should, you know how like they used to do the Captain Crunch that was like all berries? Yeah. You can buy like whole bags of Luck, Lucky Charms marshmallows. They should just do whole bags of the, the blue the Scooby, Scooby snacks. snacks. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Wow. I feel like we just tr- took like a great trip down like <laughs> early aughts junk food lane. Is it because they're opaque? I, d- I don't know. I don't know what's different. It's definitely a different texture. Yeah. I think it's because it's not like see-through. Yeah. Part Partially. What was your favorite like early 2000s snack? Oh... Pop Rocks. I feel like what Pop Rocks are like... They're not a snack, are, but they are no, no, like... No, no, They're also like multi-generational. You know that that's stuff? True. Like Kudos Bars. Kudos Bars? Mm, the squeezable grape jelly that they don't make anymore. Yeah. Because I hate grape jelly, but something about it... It was squeezable. Was really, it was squeezable, and it was really good. You know what I loved? Even though I think the breadsticks were trash, but I liked the idea of it was the snack the pack. cheesy. Yeah, with the cheese. Dunkaroos. Also, Dunkaroo. Dunkaroos. Dunkaroos. Yes. I have actually seen those in Target, and I'm like, I don't want a six-pack, 
But I would buy... I would take a pack of Dunkaroos. Yeah. But Actually, I also, you know what? I don't really want Dunkaroos because what if I'm disappointed? That's true. I mean, I think I've had... I, I'm pretty sure I've had some relatively recently and it just tastes like um, cinnamon roll frosting. Oh, okay. So, like, it's okay. Ingenious invention was when they made those, um, like, cheese things, but with pretzels because the breadsticks yeah. suck, but the, the pretzels, pretzels were amazing. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay, they're just pretzels. Hold on. Last one. Sprite Remix. Yeah. Where did it go? <laughs> Into the ether. It was too powerful for this <laughs> it, yeah. earth. Sprite Remix and Altoid Sours were like not meant for our timeline. Altoid Sours. I feel like you get close if you get a, a Sprite from McDonald's. Like out of this world. Yeah, but it, the, the experience not- <laughs> of Sprite from McDonald's is actually closer to Altoid Sours than it was to Sprite Remix. <laughs> fair enough anybody not from america is like that's so all of this sounds horribly <laughs> disgusting yeah it was but it also defined our childhood so and good. i wouldn't mind eating it again mm, some stuff a um, blue scooby snack no, no no some stuff i wouldn't eat again yeah. there's some stuff i'll take a major pass on anything mm-hmm. dyed green to be uh, specific so no shrek ketchup is yeah, what you're no, I'm good. okay um let's move back into teen wolf i know you know were we still talking about lydia i think we were i think we're done disrespected disrespected we love her oh no i a point to her status. her status yeah um honestly the biggest push in this is that she finally affirms herself as being just as powerful as the rest of everybody else if not more which i love cool yeah very into it i thought the scream was really stupid i laughed out we loud. we both laughed out loud very stupid sounding i i wish it had just been the actual banshee scream because i find that to be very uh, evocative mm-hmm. and interesting as do i just saying mason like i get it like saying werewolf by its like given name or whatever also why is it just his first name yeah i also like i think the thing is like it's it's christened name so like the it's christian name no i say christened because like i'm pretty yeah. sure if you met like you know a werewolf of, a, of another religion it would be yeah. their like name the, of the name that your parents gave you that's on your birth certificate yes your given name your given name yeah. um but yeah i thought that was i thought the screen was done but i was impressed that that's where she ended up at the end of the season because i'm tired of lydia being just again maimed she in this entire season has just been a tool for other people's self-actualization and uh i'm tired of it so good for her me too want to talk about liam yeah poor baby is having such a hard time you know what was the most impressive thing to me about liam Hmm. this whole episode because i just have never seen scott or styles would ever be able to do this Hmm. is when he picks up the pike and he's like if this doesn't save like I in Scott's like, no, what if it doesn't save Mason? He goes, but it might save you. The emotional growth that Liam has made like leaps and bounds, you know? And the idea that you can, especially after the previous episode, when his whole thing was like, no, it can't be Mason. We have to save Mason is deciding that there is a greater good. Incredible. Incredible. And not only does it show like, you know, character growth, but it is really demonstrative of the influence that Scott has had on Liam in a positive way because, um, Liam doesn't really come off as like a purist, but 
you know, he sees this as an opportunity to make the right choice. And I think Liam is a person who has been plagued by um, constantly making the wrong choice. And he has made it up to Scott for trying to kill him in the library over Hayden. Um, but he certainly still feels like he maybe owes Scott, like he's regained his status, but like morally or emotionally, he still feels that, um, he has something to prove. And I think he does it. Well, I think that a little also, a little also goes back to like what Stalinsky said about like what happens when you take a life is you do anything to, to save another. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, you know, because Liam didn't actually kill Scott, he's going to forever feel like, feel like he has to keep saving him. You know, mm -hmm. there was no, like nothing came to pass at the, at either end of that. So it's probably going to be like an endless cycle, but I do actually think that it is a greater good thing. Like I do think that he is, Liam is looking at the piles of bodies mm -hmm. and is like, if Mason's not in there anymore, I don't want it. Like, well, you know what also I think is an interesting kind of, parallel to make is to the end of season four when Scott becomes a berserker because unless I'm remembering incorrectly Liam is the one who calls him back yes you're remembering correctly okay fantastic I was a little worried um and so Liam is like familiar with watching or encountering someone that you think you know so well completely disappear into something else and if Scott hadn't recognized him, Liam would have died. And I don't think that he would have been o okay with that, but like, you know, he was willing to try. And this is his second experience of having someone like disappear in front of his own eyes. And maybe because of his past experience, he can recognize that, um, you know, we can't call him back and, and, and the greater good thing, but you know, yeah. I mean, it could be like a too far gone. Maybe he can recognize that there's nothing. Maybe he thinks he can't recognize anything left of Mason, which, I mean, I also couldn't. So, hmm. I, I know what Scott's eyes look like. I could see them through the bone mask. <laughs> um, let's do, wrap up our final characters and then move on to the rest of our discussion. So, do you have any thoughts on the Argents? Yeah, um, Gerard is a dummy, dumb, 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 dumb. Uh, yeah, you think you weren't going to get played, old man? How You're could dumb. he not see that coming 10 miles away? Like, hubris. What in the world? I guess. I mean, I think that, like, is as far as, like, dissecting the, like, trope and, like, concept of hubris, Gerard has always been the best example in the show. Mm -hmm. And, um, he's nothing if not consistent. Go <laughs> off, King. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris did him a solid and changed his status towards the B, the earlier part of 5B by giving him the plant. Um, the wolfsbane. The wolfsbane. All right. Him. No one's ever going to explain <laughs> this to me. How the F does that work? So basically, he's full of mountain ash, right? Yeah. Okay. So then he gets the bite. And so you have to kill the werewolf part that's reacting with the mountain ash that's making him spew black bile. But the werewolf thing was the only thing keeping the cancer at bay. So how the hell is he walking around right now? Um, nobody cares. He's just uh, like, he Clearly. just, he actually just is, has full blown <laughs> cancer and is like, I might die this whole time. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that had been something that they kind of like whipped out because that would have actually been kind of interesting where it was like, if we cure the black bile, you have to go back to dying. <laughs> well, I mean, Gerard is constantly, um, 
trying to exert his power over others, you know, being not sick anymore. That's a huge status change for him. And also the fact that he knows everything about the beast of Jevedan, um, you know, that means that he holds a lot over Chris and he, you know, his status has changed, um, which is why he's able to, you know, be released from the black bile mountain ash spitting. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he has that horrible moment of realization where that all comes crashing down, where he realizes that he's kind of back where he started status wise. Good. Bye. Bye. Bitch. Stinky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, what's so interesting to me is that the presence of Deucalion is the thing that alerts him to the fact that he's being double crossed because uh, you're right. Like Scott and Deucalion did not leave homies. And I would love if we knew more about that. You know what? I'm actually a little tired of the Teen Wolf bait and switch. It worked so well in season two. And that is why we hold that finale in such regard. Um, it has never worked again. And also it's boring because you're basically being like, haha, it's actually been really smart this whole time. And you as the audience are dumb for not picking up on something we introduced last episode. Hate that. Hate that bullshit. Um, so it's interesting, but it's interesting to me that, that Gerard is like, wait, Deucalion's here. You've wronged me. (laughs) They, they, he doesn't even stop and be like, that guy's on the, that guy's evil, right? He's never, he doesn't even stop to be considered that like maybe Deucalion actually was on Theo's side. That was really dumb, but you're right. Like he's right back to where he started from. He has no friends, no family. He's mean stinky and old (laughs) (laughs) well and especially i mean it's pretty just comeuppance because um his whole thing is that he wants to like preserve the argent name he's so fascinated by this history and by being like the hero but in just this really creepy vindictive sideways way um and he is foiled time and time again he would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids i love those meddling adult kids. men and and his adult son <laughs> his 50 year old son chris argent <laughs> and you know i think that this is also a great display of the fact that like chris is like like cute cool as a cucumber that man is so unwavering and that is what's so brilliant about him having sort like he's always at equilibrium mm-hmm like we've seen really big emotional moments from Chris and that is obviously like the death of his wife and also daughter. He's had a really tough couple of years. Rough man. But he's always ready to play. And that speaks really like it, it automatically shifts the status of the room he walks into always because he's either calling to action or he's settling people down. And like that is power as opposed to might, which is what Gerard has. I think we've had that discussion before. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap up, wrap up, uh, let's talk about Mason and Sebastian. Um, uh, uh, to our knowledge, at the beginning of this episode, Mason is no more. Yeah. R.I.P. Mason. Rip. Um, and it's kind of interesting um, because we were on the verge of one of my absolute favorite tropes, uh, which is old man yells at cloud. Um, I stopped watching sleepy hollow, but like one of the best things about it um, was that like, you know, you have to put sticky notes all over your house when a man wakes up from having been asleep for 200 years because he doesn't know how a car works or the shower or anything. Um, But he's Sebastian is able to access um, Mason's memories 
to know how to drive his car and to act like a modern human man, which is really interesting because it suggests that Mason still sort of has a presence, um, as Deaton suggests, but you know, Sebastian kind of says flat out, I don't have much use for him, which kind of suggests that like Mason is kind of there at his will sort Mm -hmm. of. Um, but as it turns out, Mason hangs on. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that there's really something to be said about the like, um, interpretation and recognition of self, which is a huge thing about Teen Wolf. It was a huge thing about the Kanima, huge Mm -hmm. thing about the Nogitsune. Um, and it's returning again. And I a little bit wish that it had been more about Mason being able to recognize self and repel Sebastian. But even though Lydia is the one sort of doing the instigating of that, I it felt like um, a teen wolfism, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. About identity, about how there's power in identity and being able to, like, recognize your status and define yourself in a space and how even just self-assuredness can defeat the bad guy um, in this case. And I thought that was interesting. Um, well, I don't have anything to say about Sebastian because I don't understand his motives, why he's evil, why he's like that, who he is, and who Marcel is to him. I think they try really hard with the concept of Dimnatio Memoriae, um, which is a fascinating idea. Um, if not so poorly executed yeah. by MTV Steenwolf. <laughs> exactly. Um, but like part of the the reason why they erase his name from the history books is so that he won't have like power in death. And I think that you can see that playing out in real life all the time. Um, you know, like not releasing certain like the perpetrators of violent crimes, not releasing their names and things like that. Um, because like releasing their identity gives them power outside of themselves. And Sebastian lets freaks on the internet, try to defend them literally. Um, or even just, you know, Stalin used to have people come in and like take his little photographs and just like erase people who were in the photographs with him because he was like, well, they don't exist anymore to preserve his own power. And, um, Sebastian is in a a moment where he has regained his status because he knows his name, um, which, as you said, is a teen wolfism. Um, But I can't say any more than that because, uh, like you, I don't understand what he wants. No. Except to kill people, which is boring. Mostly it's, like, kind of nice to see Mason affirm his identity. Honestly, Mason is so much of a side character because this season is spreading itself so incredibly thin. It's a little unrewarding, but I do like the idea that the way... Like that, the definition of self and like assuredness of your persona and who you are can, you know, ultimately help you take charge over the thing that's taking charge of you. I think we've wrapped up our main discussion. I think so. Shall we move into Q's and O's? Let's do it. Questions? Uh, lots of unanswerable questions. Okay. Um, like, all right, just stop. Stupid, stupid inconsistencies. We talked about the fact that, like, uh, it doesn't make any sense why Theo can take power with his normal claws, but not on the beast. Um, the Skinwalkers, they're in New Mexico, right? Yeah. How the fuck does Kira drive there? 
and then drive back. She drove them there. She drove they them were there. sitting. They were sitting in the back of her Kia Soul. Three. One of in them a row. was the DJ. They stopped and got gas station <laughs> snacks. It was a great time. Look, you do not have time for a McDonald's run when you are going to New Mexico. But and back even for in a McDonald's day. Sprite, which we've already discussed in this episode. Um, Actually, what car does she drive? I said Kia Soul because it's funny, but I also think it'd be funny if she do- drove like a Corolla. I have no idea. I'm actually I, now picturing them a Corolla. It's way funnier. <laughs> it's it's definitely, I think it's a Toyota because that was the ad that I wrote down. Um, but it just makes no sense. No. Like, there are a few times when I can just like, I can forgive shit that, you know, maybe I shouldn't because you should have a show Bible and you should think about this and you should create your own lore. But um, anyone can access and use Google Maps, which yeah. includes things like drive time. So uh, that's just fucking dumb well i'm willing to suspend my disbelief a lot for teen wolf because Mm -hmm. this is a fantasy show and you know you have to do that but you're right how the hell did she get there and back and did she take this like i'm like did they have to stop at a motel overnight did she have to like Like, did they have to do that dance or like who's sharing a bed with who (laughs) because we're only paying for one room like what was the deal what was the transaction with the skinwalkers um yeah mini series kira (laughs) takes a road trip with the skinwalkers no because i frankly am still no i don't want pissed it about like, i don't want the it. cultural insensitivity insensitivity of including the skinwalkers no you that know is what? for a later discussion in this episode mini series yeah. kira takes a road trip with the three fates from the hercules movie love it into it any other questions no i think we talked about a lot of them do you have any questions um, yeah, why on earth would Scott assume that like Lydia saying Mason's given name is what does it? What on earth? Just because she's loud? Is it because she's loud? Is it because he's going to hear her the best? It's Is it because he's dead and she has to call him back? Which well, that has a would whole be bunch fascinating. That would be fascinating, but it wasn't explained. So this is a question I'm asking just to point out a flaw in the writing. Sure. Cool. Sure. Observations. Go. Um, world stickiest sex scene 2.0, or at least it would have been if uh, Theo had not just killed Tracy. No, he wasn't as sticky as Derek was. No, but, but he, he was, was sticky. He was gross. Um, I love a cane sword. I love when there's a sword in a cane. One of my observations was about the cane sword, but mm-hmm. it was that I freaking love that the top of the cane is the head of a hammer. Oh, yeah. So you can do so much damage. It's a multi-tool, baby. <laughs> it's fan fantastic oh uh this is a little bit of costuming that i really liked gerard and sebastian end up wearing like the same outfit Hmm. they both end up wearing like a gray button down and then a blue over jacket Um, it runs in the family because he is his great 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 uncle yeah uh it looked good i liked it a lot um the there's the, the desert wolf's monologue about having children <laughs> is weirdly pro-lifey and i don't mean that she's being pro-lifey but in the way that teen wolf is re- reflecting the villain as being like an abhorrent baby murderer yeah like any woman who doesn't want to be a mother is like a horrific human being i hated that it was awful yeah um, i really didn't God. like it there's a lot of superhero music going on in this episode superhero posing as well yeah um i don't I don't love that. Uh, this episode was relatively funny. I love that Liam faints in the hospital. I loved that. Um, it was really good. Um, okay. Uh, I love that Kira gives Scott her tail. 
that's really cute. Yes. The Allison moment is very sweet, but it felt unearned to me. And for my last observation, mm-hmm. when Mason gets called back, Corey melts out of the wall. Where have you been, bitch? We could have used you. You could have helped so many problems just by being like a point guy. Like we could have just used a runner for this whole situation. So where were you, Corey? Come on, man. Doing fuck nothing. Hiding. He sucks. He is Randall from Monsters (laughs) Inc. Slimy. He was so unhelpful and it just made me laugh. What are your observations? Okay. uh, One, the Marcel face makeup under that that mask looked like the Drock. Yes, it did. They have one mask. (laughs) uh, And you have to share it. Sorry, it smells. Um, Yeah. Uh, Two, I thought the claws to Lydia's throat was a really good callback to season one. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't love that the desert wolf has no backstory besides being like, (laughs) again, like a weird metaphor for like pro-life politics. Very weird. It's super weird. I definitely don't think that was intentional, but God, that's how it reads. Well, and especially because, you know, they, they not only gave, uh, Malia, the desert wolf is her mom, but Peter is her dad. So the desert wolf is connected to Talia, like did she know baby Derek? Like I go, what's, what's happening there? What's going on? Were they yeah. dating? I don't think so. <laughs> no, it was totally a one night stand. And then Talia was like, hi, so you're part of our family now. Yeah. It was like a lonely together situation. Like it was a Thursday night. Like they shouldn't have been drinking that much. Really sad. Anyway, um, who painted the mural? <laughs> Why did, how did it get there? Who painted that? Come on, you guys. The worst thing, the worst thing is that the characters even say, whoever put that there. You're right. <laughs> Who put that there? <laughs> Who put it there? Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. Dumb. Yeah. Um, I love Liam's fainting. There's just this part that I wrote, Chris Argent double gun slinging. He just raises both of his guns. And I was like, a return to form from my man. Very sexy. Um, This is such a little observation, but when Styles walks into Scott's house and the desert wolf is there, like immediately threatening him, he just, like, he just has this little, oh, damn moment. (laughs) And I was like, I just thought it was a really good choice from Dylan O'Brien. It was like a really good little fun acting moment. I Mm -hmm. thought it was great. Yeah. Um... Um, how did Kira get there? We already talked about that. Um, I do not like the Hayden and Liam on the cliff ending because I just (laughs) thought it was dumb. It's so stupid. It's, it is obviously supposed to be like a, look, this is Scott and Allison next gen, but the slow-mo hair flowing in the wind run and he turns around to look at her and their eyes glow at the same time. It's just so dumb. It's so stupid. It was so cheesy. It was so trite. Um, also, copaganda. <laughs> the Styles sheriff conversation was full-blown copaganda and I didn't like it. Welcome to your career in law, law enforcement, enforcement, son. Why did he say that like the dog that operates the curio <laughs> shop in <laughs> Webkins? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I think his name is Artie. I never played Webkins. What? But oh, that was a reference lost on you, but also should not have come as a surprise. So no, yeah, you. Okay, your childhood weirdly sheltered. Um, Any whomst. Uh, do you want to give us our pack stats? 
Pack stats. Pack stats. Yeah, eyes abound. I actually think eyes this, abundant. M- this might be the largest number, despite having, I want to say, the fewest number of werewolves in like a given episode. Um, Everyone's super in this episode. Are you? 16. Do you mean sixteen? Ooh, sixteen eyes. Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's just like individual glowing moments. I didn't count when they're like, oh, it's the same scene. Four claws. Two shirts, because Parrish is just, oh, God, I wish he was naked the whole time, but he's but wearing his little flame-retardant bike shirt. It just looks so dumb. Just, just <laughs> honestly, here's the thing. Just only film him waist up. Yeah. Give us, just make us think that it's, because, again, it's not about wanting, to, this is, not, I'm not ogling. Like, no, I just but think like, it's pretend, really dumb that his shorts don't burn off. Just pretend Parrish is, like, pregnant and shoot him from, like, the pecs upwards yeah you know yeah like they do on sitcoms um anyway ads we had toyota we had at&t we had samsung it was like bam 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 one in a row and then like i don't know they drive cars in most of the show and i'm not gonna count sirens i've heard one so far but we two. have we have more to get through we do i've heard two sirens by the way okay i i made note thank you um so we've done our pack sets oh let's do our alpha of the week Kira, um, rip, cause she's gone and she, she made it possible. She saved Lydia. That's I'm, my reason. I'm giving it to do Kalian. We love you, baby. Well, it's like, <laughs> I actually think that Scott let Ducalion get tortured for a full season and we all just like, and then he's still on his side for some reason. Yeah. And he gets shot. He gets shot. I love that. Poor it's dude. Not, it's not my day, is it? Or whatever he says. That was great. It never is. Um, and he also, there's not enough neck snapping in Teen Wolf. I love a neck snap. I think it's such an effective piece of body horror. And I like that he snapped Theo's neck. So I'm going to give it to Deucalion, uh, mostly because he got me through 5B. Um, I respect but that. But we'll, we'll do an alpha of the season and we'll get there. But we have to move into our conversation on our wrap of a 5B. Uh, so we're going to talk about what works, what doesn't what we're going to miss and what we're looking forward to. I have a feeling that there's going to be serious leans in this conversation in one direction rather than the other. So I think, because I know this will be the shorter part of the conversation, what works about 5A and B, season five of Teen Wolf, which we watch for this podcast. (laughs) Uh, I will say I love a lot of the um, cast dynamic. I love a lot of the stuff that goes on with Lydia and Parrish. Um, I wish it was not romantic, but I don't need to say that again. Cause you guys know, um, I like their interactions as like harbingers of death. Um, I love all of the Scott and Liam stuff, uh, him taking responsibility. I really liked in the lacrosse game episode, the fact that Brett comes back in and he like is part of team McCall, I guess. Um, you know, and it's just, we've been with these characters for five seasons. I really like seeing them. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought a lot of the set design, I love that they shot on location um, for the first Skinwalker thing, despite that stupid fucking green screen. Yeah, it looked bad, bad, bad. Horrible. Um, I thought that looked beautiful. I don't know if they were fully shooting on like location, but it definitely looked it way better. It looked way better. Um, they were in a desert environment yeah. instead of a blatant green screen. Um, I thought so many of the concepts, which we've talked about a lot, um, I thought were 
so cool. The idea, the design of the Dread Doctors is so cool. The little Pulp Fiction book that Dr. Valak writes is really interesting. I would have loved a flashback episode. Oh my gosh. I know I've already said this, but like no, none of the main cast. We never hear from them again. Just the plot of that book. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be fantastic. I really enjoyed... Um, you know, it's a little late, but I liked the Argent myth and backstory of kind of how they came to be, like why hunters needed to exist. Um, uh, and I also would love to know if like, that's just, you know, European werewolf mm-hmm. hunters. I'd love to know about like other parts of the world. Cause we know about the Calaveras, you mm-hmm. know, and you could be like, oh, well they, it's a Spanish thing that trickled down and through when they conquered whatever, um colonization brought werewolf hunters <laughs> uh but i doubt that so um yeah so i wish we knew more about that as well um i i liked a lot of the banshee school stuff i think that um it's been so long since lydia actually had someone who was invested in her and her power because she spent a lot of this season invested in Parrish's power um and also Ducalion. he was there yeah I love you, Gideon Emery. Come uh, on the podcast. We'd love to talk to you. Um, this The main function of us being like, come on the podcast. We, d- Dylan O'Brien, I don't care about you. Tyler Posey, no. Oh, Orny Adams and Russell Mulcahy. <laughs> Gideon Emery, come on the podcast. Come on down. What are some things that you think work about this season that think, I've not already mentioned? I think the art design is good. I think mm-hmm. the set deck is good. I could do without all of the leaky pipe factories, but I do. So much. I like the Dread Doctor lair. I like the costume design a lot. I think this the sound mixing is at its most impressive in this season. Mm-hmm. All of the sort of like um, metallic clinking and like gear turning whirring noises that surround the Dread Doctors, I think is really effective. You know what it sounds like? Huh. It sounds like the American Horror Story theme. It does. And I re- yes. I think it's really effective. And I think that might be why it's effective is because that's, you know, my brain association with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like Dylan Sprayberry. I think he's cute. And I think that his bigger part in this season is fun. Um, he fits in so nicely. Yeah, he does. He really had a seamless transition into a cast that was very well established at the time that he joined. So that was impressive. Um, I like some of the good character moments i like you mentioned that episode where scott and styles go to new mexico i thought i think that's impressive i think we alliterated i think we um you know established that when we did it when we did that episode um I I'm I like Brayden. I'm happy that Brayden was back. Yes, Bra- having but I don't. Here's I'm I don't want to immediately make the conversation negative again. But like the fact that some of my favorite parts of the season were um, reintroductions from seasons I liked more doesn't speak well of what we were watching. So the fact that I'm like, oh, I love that Ducalion was there. Oh, I actually really liked Gerard being here. Oh, I love Brayden. It's like. The greatest hits. Greatest hits, yeah. But you use them poorly. Yeah, poorly executed greatest hits, for sure. Um, that's kind of all I have. I think that I'm really... I, I know that that sounds like I'm being hyper-negative, but it's been actually taxing. Like, no, no woe is me. No woe is me. It's been kind of taxing to watch this season because of how much it has um, made me cynical about this show which I don't want to be always because I think that like 
I'm always going to find joy in, in Teen Wolf, um, but I also am somebody who encourages really deep critical thought about the media you consume. Um, and when you there's too much on one end and not enough on the other, it becomes exhausting. And there's not enough that I can enjoy in this season to offset that exhaustion. Yeah, I think we have a lot of um, specific complaints that we've we've been talking about throughout this entire thing. But for me personally, when you get down to it, what I feel I'm getting from this season is like a lack of respect for the audience. Um, and not intentionally, I don't think, but we've come to expect a certain level of emotional intelligence and thought in Teen Wolf that makes it so enjoyable and makes it something that we love. And to come into a season like this that feels so sloppy, that feels so poorly researched and that it wasn't plotted out, um, that there's no character development pretty much throughout the whole thing, that it felt like at the same time 20 episodes was too much and not enough it doesn't feel like the show is giving me what i'm putting into it i wholeheartedly agree i think we're ready to just move into what doesn't work then yeah um the first thing i want to introduce is uh the fact that there are a lot of ideas put into play with absolutely no follow-through um, yeah, a lot of which I mentioned in the things that I liked because I, I wanted so much more uh, from them. What's an example of that? Um, the Dread Doctors, like, it never went where I wanted it to go. We still don't really know. Knowing that one of them is Marcel, I guess makes a lot of sense, but we don't know his relationship with Sebastian. Does he love Sebastian? I guess. I guess. Um, but you brought this up um, earlier in our discussion. He also exposed Sebastian. Mm-hmm. To Marie-Jean, which could have led to his demise or to her demise. And like, then all of a sudden he's like, anything for you, Beyonce. <laughs> and it's like, wait, hold I love on. you. Pick one. Yeah. Um, or, you know, Dr. Valak, uh, his whole thing. Just killing Dr. Valak is so uninteresting to me, especially since he had so much set up in previous seasons about being like this big player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think like Kira, we've talked about how she is so unbelievably powerful and none of that is put into play. Um, all of these really powerful characters are sidelined supposedly to like help develop them. Like Lydia is able to break through because of her little banshee school with Meredith and possibly the hole in her head, which we never address ever again. Um, it's, it, it, it's like, there's no weight or consequence to that. Um, yeah, I, uh, uh, there, there's so much about it that I, I, it's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. It was on the tip of Teen Wolf's tongue and then it didn't get there. Yeah. I mean, my next, my next point is that it's gotten an inability to incorporate plot line successfully. Like a big reason as to why none of these things can reach their um, proper climax or like come to fruition is because none of these things intercede in the correct way. You know, like mm -hmm. I really have a, a, I really struggle with Eichenhaus. One, I'm really tired of mental health horror. We talked about that when Eichenhaus was first introduced in season three. We find it boring. We find it sort of gauche. Um, but you know, they, Lydia is there. Lydia is there for the entirety of 5A. And then the second she's out, it's gone. It's gone from the plot. Why is it not under investigation? 
why is her mother doing nothing about the medical malpractice happening in that facility that she's witnessing? Why does nothing come of that? Like, they just ignore it because all of a sudden it feels like it's off their plates. I find that boring, and that's only one of a couple examples. Like, the Dread Doctors go away for half of this season of 5B. They're just not around. Where did they go? If you can't build them back into their plot if they're going to be a main player in the finale... Something's a mess. Um, I think the Skinwalkers are similar, and the Desert Wolf is so like it's you're trying to fit a, a square peg in a round hole. You're jamming her in at the end because you couldn't put her somewhere else. And we have said that there really there's like a bunch of weird filler episodes in this season. Like surely she could have been introduced in in, in an earlier place, and it feels like. Season five of Teen Wolf exists in the Jeremy Barramy timeline. <laughs> it's the eye. It's in the eye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, then th- that is what is so unbelievable about it to me is that like we have been talking about the Desert Wolf since episode one of season four. Yes. It has been 32 episodes yeah. since we've heard about her for the first time. And uh, you couldn't figure out how in 32 episodes to put that plot into motion? Yeah. I, it is. It doesn't speak well of the writer's room or uh, literally it's, it's like they uh, just spun the wheel of fortune every time they sat down to write an episode. Yeah. Um, I... Speaking of things that don't speak well of the writer's room, I, I want to talk a little bit about representation. I want to talk about the female characters in Teen Wolf. This is, is a discussion that we have had previous and are going to continue to keep having. Um, the most frustrating thing to me about this season is the fact that all of the female characters are entirely sidelined and frankly, they feel pretty tokenized. Um, it is been recently sent to us, and I think I kind of remember this happening when it happened. Um, a an Instagram comment with a quote from Arden Cho, who basically says she was put on hold for three years of her life filming Teen Wolf, wasn't allowed to do any other projects, and to have her character get absolutely nothing. Like it would have felt like you were being trapped. And like for anybody who doesn't understand, like when you're on hold as an actor, you can't, you literally can't do anything else. You can't get any other work. And if you're trying to, you know, sustain yourself as an actor, that can be really detrimental to your like personal like life. And I don't think that that was happening in Norton Cho. You can't change your hair. You can't go on vacation. You can't move. You can't do this. You can't do that. Imagine being bound to a show for three years of your life where you're not even guaranteed to be in every single episode. You're getting like five minutes of screen time in some, and then they write you off this way. And it's not, uh, you know, it's not a, a hidden fact that not only is he, uh, not only is she a woman, she's a woman of color. Mm-hmm. And it a little bit feels like they fulfilled their Japanese plot line. And then when they didn't, need her anymore to make what they were doing okay they put her on the back burner and i find that not only incredibly frustrating from a standpoint of being able to like give women of color the justice they deserve in the entertainment industry it makes for a really shitty story because you're ignoring something that was fundamental to the plot i completely agree with you i feel like we have tried to talk about this when it comes up 
um, because it comes up pretty frequently in Teen Wolf, unfortunately. And, um, you know, to, to your point about how it makes the show worse, (laughs) um, it's like so infuriating to see not necessarily Malia, but like Kira and Lydia be, um, incapable and at the incapable of tapping into and at the mercy of their own incredible power. It feels like a female hysteria thing. Does it not? It does. Particularly when, you know, Scott had so much time to figure out his powers to go to werewolf school. Um, they even do that with Boyd and Erica and, um, Isaac, where everybody gets to learn their powers or like Liam has to work through his anger management, etc. Um, you know, like we have these moments. Allison has to relearn basically how to shoot a bow and arrow. Everybody is able to like work through it and utilize their powers versus um, Kira and Lydia who just don't have any agency. No, none at all. None. And, you know, I think that when Teen Wolf was first airing, it was pretty revolutionary. Um, And people were like, wow, we've never seen a show that looks like this on television, even though the cast was mostly white. But hey, like there's there's gay representation. This main character is half Mexican. That's pretty cool. And then as it progressed, instead of moving along with the times, it was just sort of resting on its natal laurels. And that... Makes me sad. I think there were really, really big opportunities. I mean, like, you know what? This is not really related to season five, but the fact that there is not a single prominent uh, queer woman on the show. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Like, Teen Wolf is gay, great gay rep. No, it's not. It's not. It was when they were when there was no other like gay teenagers on television. Holy shit, was that big news? But by 2017, 18. Or 2017, which is when the show ended. Wait, 2016, 2015. Get with the program, dude. You and I talk about this a lot in our personal discussions, just like, because, you know, we're friends. We live together. We talk about a lot of this shit. You think we're friends? We are friends. No, we're not. Oh, my God. God. Wow. Gotta text my therapist. Anyway. (laughs) Time for you to move out. (laughs) Um, I... As like a consumer of media and somebody who really likes to think about the transitions that we went through from like the early aughts to the tens, um, it's massive the difference between the way that like gay characters are treated or people of color are treated. And it gets to the point in Teen Wolf where like culturally there's no excuse. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not saying that like you can excuse aughts television, but there, like, there is a way to kind of look at it from like the wider culture, um, and, and be like that. I understand why that's happening. It doesn't really make sense in Teen Wolf because the culture had caught up. Not even entirely had the culture caught up, but I'm sure if we pulled up a list of shows airing in 2016, it would be pretty apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want this to be a mainstay of this conversation because, again, it's going to be it's a continued discussion. It's been a continued discussion. I do want to give our sincerest thanks to everybody who shared their two cents to all of our wonderful listeners of color um, who jumped in to, to tell us how they felt about Teen Wolf so we could better prepare for this discussion. We always want to hear from you guys and always want to be able to. 
um, give you our platform, extend our platform to you, platform, quaff on quaff, podcast. But we are white, so <laughs> we do <laughs> really deeply appreciate um, the you know, assistance that we can get from, from, from really, really smart people who listen to this podcast, who we deeply appreciate and love. Um, moving away from that conversation, uh, the pacing of this season, horrible. Whack. I, I said this to you every time we sat down, this is a season of penultimate episodes. Everything is just jamming garbage in and it feels like it's going to all come to a head in the next episode and then it doesn't. It's just more jamming garbage in and you had 20 episodes to establish this whole plot. Either do the Dread Doctors or do the Beast or do them together and figure out how to make it one big arc and not try to <laughs> and not not put the Desert Wolf thing where it is. Like why is we had this conversation when we were breaking Lydia out of Eichenhaus. Why on earth is that two episodes? Why? Why? Um, it, no, it doesn't make any sense. It allows for a lot of filler. So, you know, if the Beast and the Dread Doctors are technically the same arc, that's what their goal is. We don't actually know that until 5B. So you have, in season five, you have Theo, you have the Dread Doctors, you have the Desert Wolf. If there weren't just like what what feels to me like hours of filler you could have done it um but they didn't i you know we watch it on amazon and we pause because we were talking or whatever and the amount of times that we were sitting there and watching it and being like oh my god i can't believe there's either only 20 minutes left or there's oh my god 40 minutes left to this episode it feels like the episodes are 40 minutes. So that would be the beginning, but yes, yes I feel there's, you. there's like, you know, an <laughs> me, unreasonable me amount of time. The theme song, like, Oh, I can't believe there's 40 minutes. left. There's like an unreasonable amount of time left. And you're like, I don't know how we're going to fill this hour. I don't know how we're going to get through this. Um, I, I don't want to sit here and be like Teen Wolf is Teen Wolf season five is unwatchable, but it's really tough. Well, it's, it shouldn't feel like a chore to watch. And at this point it's either a chore because there's too much information that I'm receiving and it's really hard to keep up with. Or there's nothing happening and then a big fight scene at the end that I'm all of a sudden to like supposed to keep track of one small detail of that like never comes back until it does and I'm stupid for not knowing again. Well, Hate and that. Teen Wolf wasn't exactly made for uh, streaming. It's not as though they were expect they were writing it so that people would sit down and just watch it, mainline it one after another. And I think like waiting a couple days between watching each episode, I can't imagine how frustrating it must've been to watch it week to week. And you know, when I, you know, I'm on Tumblr looking for content about these episodes, uh, a lot of people I see who are watching it contemporaneously were so confused yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, I think a lot of conversations going on right now about how people watch and consume media and perhaps how like TV shows are being written and catered to, to streaming and like watching it one after another, but Teen Wolf wasn't. And there's just no excuse for it to be as poorly paced as it is. I agree. Um, I think what uh, amounted, well, let's get this one. This is kind of a smaller detail, but like the fact that the lore and is so shaky and so ignored and so poorly established is the biggest reason for a lot of our confusions and frustrations. Because if we can't keep it straight after doing a detailed watch of this entire show, that's on you. That's not on me. I'm good at watching TV. I'm good at talking about it. And if you can't keep that straight in a way that's going to be accessible to an audience that isn't watching it in the way that we are, dude, 
how am I supposed to follow any of this if you are like reneging on stuff that you said in season three, one, four, last episode? Hello? Uh, even if, um, no, I'm sorry. I messed up the beginning of my sentence. How embarrassing. Um, They literally have a character who has the ability to explain lore to us at literally any time. Deaton. And he's gone for almost all of the season. Or Chris, who doesn't show up till the end. Or Or even Gerard, who's an unreliable narrator. And Derek's not here, so that sucks. And Peter's not here, who's also unreliable, but does seem to have... A lot of knowledge and V-neck t-shirts and (laughs) smells like Axe body spray. There are a plethora of characters who could have fulfilled that role of being like the Oracle of the season and it wasn't done consistently and it just felt, it felt like you were constantly waiting for more information to be revealed that would make the whole thing make sense to you and instead it just made it more confusing. I want Teen Wolf to be like an ancient Greek play. I want the play to be happening and then some old man to come on to come on the stage to be like, here's what happened and then to, for a chorus behind him to reiterate <laughs> what just happened. Yes, bring back the Greek chorus yes. for teen television. Not that anybody needs to hear this, but I love Greek theater and I think that choral work is incredibly impressive and would love to see it in a television uh format seconded yes uh our final thing and this was our main conversation throughout the season our main frustration and this is why our main frustration is if all of these don't have equal merit they do (laughs) but our most talked about frustration which is why it's kind of at the end because I think we've beaten this dead horse to death Anywho. Uh, and beyond. Uh, mischaracterization, poor characterization, out of character behavior, a complete um, diversion from how we interpret these characters to behave. And then trying to fix it at the end. It felt like everything, it felt like they tried to write these characters into a way that was going to progress, wrote them so out of left field that it was completely incongruous with the rest of the show, and then just flipped back and was like, you didn't see that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much more I have to add beyond my just incoherent anger at that. Um, The fact that like Scott is supposed to be the moral center of the show and then we really can't trust him for any of that. He becomes sidelined. He reacts the way that we never, ever would expect him to react to uh, the Styles Donovan thing. Um, it, It. it is so lazy. It's lazy. That's the thing that I take the most offense to because uh, you and I, very specifically for this podcast, are putting in so much effort. I put so much effort in. So much thought. But you know what? You know who else? Casual viewers even, like, have at this point watching it, have invested, you know, four seasons worth into these characters whom they obviously care about because I think that's something Teen Wolf is very successful at is making you care about the characters. And when you completely mischaracterize them, you lose any kind of weight that their interactions and their fights and their decisions might have had because you have this nagging feeling that that just isn't right. Yes. Yes. It is... Um, a complete diversion from what we've seen. All of a sudden you pitch our two main characters as fallible and infallible, which is completely irregular and inhuman. Whereas we've both, they've both been allowed to make mistakes and like learn from each other. And I don't know how many times we need to say this. If you wanted to pitch the Scott and Styles riff, 
you rift you probably needed to do it mid-season four lay the groundwork let it build and scott should have been the one to make the mistake because Mm -hmm. styles has already been the one to continuously make you know when the last mistake scott got to make was making out with lydia in season one wow that's nuts yeah and so you have a character who's supposed to be this absolute altruist who keeps doing things that we disagree with but he's morally right and uh, a character who has made like um, a mistake that like all of the other characters in the show have also made so i don't understand where the vitriol is coming it's just none of the reactions are proportional and that's not where you start if you want that to be your plot which if a scott styles breakup had been well executed it would have been great it would have been great it also has an issue to do with the pacing mm-hmm. the fact that they break up in like episode eight and get get back together in like episode 12 is dumb yeah well i i, I don't want to say that this is like a necessary trope but i think there's a reason that you see it in a lot of shows on television that center around two people mm-hmm. as they're like core characters because if they don't have like any time apart for whatever reason like there's no opportunity really for them to grow I don't think it's necessary for success but I I think you see it so often and because you start and end this show with Scott and Styles, really um you know there had to have been a point there had to have been a breaking point yeah for yeah. them. And the fact that it's not emotionally resonant sucks. Yeah. I mean, that's so ineloquent, but it, it, it's no, but so frustrating. I want to be able, because I've, because I've given this much in investment because I care about these characters because I get something out of watching their interactions because I'm a fan of this show. Fan is loose at this point. I'm kidding. I love it. Um, I do want their interactions to be human and justified and organic. And the fact that they couldn't produce that without being like, um, they're not friends anymore. Bye is embarrassing. It seems so rudimentary. Yeah. Yeah. Let's wrap up our discussion on what doesn't work. I think we've enumerated everything that we needed to. I think that this was about as casual as that discussion was going to get. We don't need to keep going through it, but I think that it's fair at this point to say that we've done the work to justify our feelings on season five. Uh, I want somebody to rebuttal. Like I'm not picking a fight. I swear to God, even though if you know me in real life, you think I was (laughs) no, um, I want a reason to think that I'm wrong. I really do. I think that would make me happy. Um, because I don't want to walk away from this just feeling disappointed. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm not going to miss anything from season five. Oh, good. Because I, if you had asked, I would have had nothing to add. Sad. Sorry. Um, What are you looking forward to in season six? I'm excited to have this conversation. It's going to be so bright and light and fun. Um, Ghost cowboys. Ghost cowboys. Dude, the aesthetics of season six absolutely slap. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for Peter to come back. Um, He's one of my faves, as we all know. Um, but I also just think he like adds, he has a little bit of spice to the everything. Yes. I miss him. Yeah. Screw the dead doctors, dread doctors and they're like banal evil. Like Peter is the most interesting evil this <laughs> show gets. What are you talking about? I love Peter. Um, so excited for Peter. Love the ghost cowboys. Um, 
we're reiterating the theme of like identity and self and perception, which I think is, has always been a strong suit of Teen Wolf. You know what I like about this season? Hmm. I think that like Lydia and Malia have like a crazy amount to do. Yeah. I also, unless I'm misremembering, I think there's more high school and I really miss that. So much more high school. More high school. One of our favorite episodes is in. I was just going to say. Six. Sundowning is one of my favorite episodes of Teen Wolf. Crazy to think for like a late stage episode. But it is so good. It I is, think about it often. Truly like American Horror Story. It's great. Um, I am excited for 6B as well. I love when Theo returns. I think Theo is like maybe the one. I would say I would miss Theo because he's not in 6A. <laughs> but knowing he returns in 6B is good. Um, I love more Liam. We see more, we get to know a little bit more about Mason and Corey, which is nice, Mm -hmm. but mostly the cast actually shrinks. And I think every ensemble needs to be cut by four characters or Mm -hmm. else I'm not paying attention. Yeah. We have a smaller cast. We've got good aesthetics. I'm sad that Styles is not going to be as big of a character in the next season, but frankly, he was kind of a small character at the end of season five anyway. Mm -hmm. So Dylan O'Brien, go get that Maze Runner money, baby. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm especially looking forward to watching, um, six B post Trump Trump presidency. I think I, I watched it in the middle of the Trump presidency. I I think, Mm -hmm. well, most people kind of were because it aired in 2017. Wow. God, you guys, (laughs) if you watched it in real time and you didn't know it was coming. Sorry. Wow. Um, yeah, I think I'm excited to have a new perspective. Yeah. On 6B. Um, also, um, I, <laughs> this is going to sound horrible. I'm just going to say it. Hayden has never been an interesting character to us. That goes back to the complete dropping the ball on female characters in the show. But the fact that Hayden's not in 6B is kind of okay with me. It's, also, yeah. you know what? Scalia. I love the Scott and Malia Hail Mary. I think that is the funniest, best <laughs> thing you could have done at the end of the show. Dumbass for dumbass. Like, I'm obsessed. A himbo and not a bimbo. No, a shim, a shimbo. <laughs> yeah. A shimbim. A shimbim. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love them. I think it makes perfect sense. Um, I'm just more excited, like you said, to kind of shrink down and focus on these characters again because... We're about to recenter on the emotional core of the show. And that comes with... It's funny that the emotional core of the show is Styles and then he's not in it. But, like, everything with the sheriff is so good. Well, and the thing about um, Styles not being there, unlike Derek not being present in this season, I mean, he's mentioned a few times, but Styles is ever present in 6A. He's effervescent. <laughs> he is an effervescent force um, that, you know, like people are constantly trying to get to him. So I, I think we'll miss him, but he's a, he's there in our hearts he and the character's hearts. Do you have an alpha of the season? Do you have an alpha of the season? Chris. Chris, I guess. Chris or Liam, maybe? Yeah, Liam really pulls through. Yeah. Of um, living up and ex- living up to and exceeding expectations from yeah. me. Oh, L- Lydia. Yeah. Speaking of living up to and exceeding expectations, she's been through so much. She, she killed it. Yeah. She love lived, Lydia. bitch. Um, cool. I, that's cool to give it to her. I didn't want to give it to, I don't want to give it to anybody else. Like really, except for those three I mentioned. Deucalion. 
Like, the fact that it's going to side characters represents the show. Um, mm-hmm. I'm happy to be done with season five. And, guys, if you made it this far, thank you so much. We are so incredibly happy to have our listeners that we have we can't express to you. We know it, season five has been a schlog for you as much as it has been for us. And to stick with us and be as active as you've been is an incredible privilege. Um, if you liked this episode, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf. Our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. If you really liked this episode, you can leave us a review on iTunes. If you leave us five stars and a note, we'll read it out loud, do a little commentary. It makes us happy. We do a happy dance. Um, you just can't see it because this is an audio platform. If you really, really like this episode, you guys can buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. It's just to cover the cost of the pod. Um, we're eternally grateful. Or you can buy one of our stickers on Redbubble. You can find those links in the bios of any of our social and after all is said and done, I've been Christian. And I've been Julia. And I hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, woo!